You know, I, uh, I, don't, I found myself at the beginning of last year, 2018, realizing I never spent much time reading fiction, just kind of recreational kind of reading. So I launched off into The Count of Monte Cristo, and um, I have a paperback copy of it, and that joker's thick. I mean, it's that thick. I still haven't finished it, finished it, and that was January 2018, but I'm getting toward the end, and I'm getting toward that spot in the book, if you've really found yourself in a good book, where you're not eager to get to the end. In fact, you look at how many pages are left, and you wish there were more pages. And man, I don't get emotional about Monte Cristo. That's a good book, I mean, by the way, but that's not what I'm emotional about. I'm a little emotional this morning about closing the page in the chapter on a surprise book called Job. So if you would, turn to Job with me, chapter 42. I'm going to spend a brief few minutes uh, just kind of pointing out the things that are, are unfolding in these last couple of paragraphs, beginning in verse 10, and then we're going to have a chance to hear from some of our people. Job chapter 42, beginning in verse 10. One of the things I was thinking about, uh, there's a, a kind of a sadness that goes along with finishing a book like Monte Cristo or a good, good fiction book, um, but the difference here, I think, with Job is that the living book keeps on speaking. That other book just kind of stays on the shelf, and you might mention it from time to time and, and enjoy uh, the story with someone who's read it, but the book of Job or our other books that we study in our Bible are living and they keep on speaking, so there's a little sadness in kind of closing the chapter, but there's a little excitement in wondering, what's God going to do with this in the future as we're walking out together as a people where uh, Job continues to renew us and guide us and um, equip us as we go about life? So let's, let's, let's land the plane here with these last few verses. What I'd like to do is just read a couple of verses, maybe at a time. Uh, this first verse, just verse 10, and then verse 11, and then 12 through 15, and then 16 and 17. So it's going to be very simple, a uh, few minutes, and then I want you all to have a chance to hear from our people. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. All right, I got I to gotta regroup. All right, Job was given twice as much as he had before. Now, one of the things that we enjoyed in the beginning of the book was realizing this is a book about what God does with his sons. It's a book about sonship. The word son, you know, it'll look for repeated words and phrases when you're studying God's word. And the book of Job is full of the word son. And some of the words are, some of the references there are translated with other words, unfortunately. And in the original Hebrew, these things sort of come to the surface. And you realize that Job was identified as one of the finest sons, and not the finest son of the East. He was identified as a, a, a son that was blameless and upright and who feared the Lord and turned away from evil. Uh, and meanwhile, there's these, this, this story unfolding with these scenes of sons. The sons of God present themselves before the Lord, and Job is noticeably absent. And the rest of the story is a story about how Job then becomes one of the sons of God coming into the presence of the Lord. And right here at the very, very uh, end of the book, you see this thing sort of surface again. It's something that might be a little bit obscure. God gave Job twice as much as he had before, twice as many sheep. Twice as many camels, you'll see those numbers later. Twice as many oxen, twice as many donkeys. He even had twice as many remaining years on the rest of his life. Seventy and seventy of a total of 140 years. Something that's really beautiful about that imagery is the double portions were reserved for firstborn sons. 
This man, Job, through his suffering, has been brought not only into the presence of the Lord, but has been brought into the presence of the Lord like a firstborn son through this terrible season of suffering. Verse 11, Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. That evil word is translated also disaster. If you struggle with that notion of that word being associated with something that God has done, then maybe disaster or calamity might help you digest that a little bit better. They showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the disaster and calamity that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. What a great, great moment this must have been. They had a meal together. And I was thinking that's really fitting and appropriate because reconciliation and food pair nicely together. Beautiful, beautiful pairing. It's something that we enjoy, frankly, every single week when we take the Lord's Supper. Reconciliation and food pair well together. These brothers and sisters and those who had known him before even gave him a little housewarming gift of a piece of money. It's an undisclosed amount. We don't know exactly how much the currency value was and a golden ring. Beginning in verse 12 through 15, you begin to see more of the double portion. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, and he had 14,000 sheep. 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He had also seven sons and three daughters, and he called the name of the first daughter Jemima, the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Karen Hapuk. And in all the land there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. The latter days were blessed more than the previous days. He lost seven sons and three daughters, and that didn't go away. They're gone. Job certainly would have had to deal, even with a new row of kids of seven sons and three daughters, he certainly would have had to spend the rest of his life, those 140 years, while enjoying God's blessings, remembering the terror of the season. He lost ten children after all. He had those closest to him, his friends and his brothers and sisters, turn on him but then going into this season he still had new sons and daughters there's something that's important here too that you can draw out there's a difference here between these daughters in reference to the last daughters these daughters unlike the first daughters are named they may have had a name in the first place they probably did but we weren't it wasn't disclosed to us but here they're given a name we find out their names are Jemima which means dove Keziah which means cinnamon and Karen Hapuk, which means horn of eyeshadow. There's some great baby name choices here that I really want to encourage uh, these young families to run with. I, I, there's just a, a wealth of opportunity there. Some things that you can enjoy in this, though. Unlike the first daughters, these daughters were given an inheritance. The inheritance was traditionally for sons, but in God's design and in our God's economy and the faith that we walk, walk in, daughters, too, are blessed with an inheritance. Amen? Man, I love that. And then in verses 16 and 17. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons four generations. And Job died an old man full of days. A double portion of years treated like a firstborn son. Job died an old man full of 
days. These next few minutes are going to be spent hearing from our people. Testimony, when you gather, isn't necessarily something that you do every, every time you gather, although it could be, but it's something that we do from time to time where we have our folks give, a, we give our folks an opportunity to share what God has done in their lives or what God is doing. And what we're going to hear in these next few minutes is a recounting of what God has done with an ancient but living book of wisdom in real lives. You're going to hear in these next few minutes from Alyssa Lane, Grace Drake, Jerry Morris, Sam Simmons, Jacqueline Fulp, and Jessica Johnson. Alyssa, you want to lead us out? Okay, so going through different seasons of my life, I find it really hard to stay content. I have a tendency to worry and get restless, especially when things don't immediately go my way. Recently, I found it hard to stay grounded because everything feels so unsteady and uncertain. What I've realized while reading Job is there's no such thing as a bad circumstance with a bad reason for it happening. That's because with God, all things have a purpose. We go through our own trials and tribulations to get closer to him and ultimately see his glory being put on display. In chapter 13, verse 15, Job declares, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Throughout the book, Job is given a front row seat to seeing God's plan unfold. At the beginning of the book, Job knew of God, but by the end he truly knew God and worshipped him wholeheartedly, even to the point of mourning by sitting in ashes. In it all, he remained steadfast and held fast to his integrity. When I run into my own problems or inconveniences, my natural inclination is to complain or to get mad and ask God, why is this happening? Not once, even in the gravity of his situation, did Job curse or blame God for what was happening. In fact, he worshiped God in his suffering. Job's devotion throughout the entire book illustrates the faith I strive to have in my daily walk. <laughs> When I'm feeling abandoned or uncertain of things going on in my life, my hope is that I'll cling tightly to God and what I know to be true about him. I've experienced so much uncertainty in the past few months, but God, he is our firm foundation on which we can place our hope in. I've learned to be thankful in all circumstances. I've seen so many incredible aspects of creation, and I could have missed out so many opportunities for God to stretch and to grow me that I, would have that I wouldn't have experienced had I not gone through the troubles that I originally thought I had. When I met with a trial, I'm taught through Job to view it as something to rejoice in, um, something that will bring me closer to my Savior. My trials are minuscule compared to Job's, let alone Christ's work on the cross. But how beautiful and wonderful our Savior truly is for enduring the wretched things that he did so we wouldn't have to pay our dues. Christ is not the means, but the end, the prize, and our final destination. Good. Okay. Uh, morning, church. Um, I'm Sam. Um, my family got to the United States a little over six and a half years ago, and since then we've been attending here at Cross Point. And a couple of months ago, youth started with this uh, Job study. And I'd never read the book of Job. There's still much of the Bible that I haven't read. But um, it was very enlightening reading this book of Job. And there's two main things that I wanted to share with you guys about the book of Job. And the first one 
is a little ironic. It's about uh, silence. It's about how silence is part of the conversation. Got my notes here. So for 37 chapters, we have Job not knowing what's going on. All he knows is that, well, everything's taken away from him, uh, even his health. All that's left is his wife, who kind of hates him, and three friends who are rebuking him, uh, rebuking him, and then a fourth guy who he doesn't even know who comes and rebukes him too. But all that silence from God, it sets up perfectly for when in 38.1, the voice from the whirlwind comes out and speaks to Job. And he, he provides Job with repentance. Because it says in 42, let me read that for you, right there. In 42, 5 through 6, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And then through that, God provides repentance for Job's friends too. So that silence helps set that up perfectly. And then uh, one of the other things I realized, it was actually in the first, or it's actually in the second chapter of Job right at the beginning where um, Job is sitting in dust and ashes and his friends, uh, Zophar and Zophar's friends, forgive me. <laughs> Um, they come and they sit with him for a week, and they are in silence. They say nothing. And I can't really think of anything better to say or do when someone's mourning. The best thing you can do sometimes is to just sit there and be silent, to listen. And that's what they did. And when God is rebuking Job's friends in 42, he does not say, I rebuke you for sitting with a week in silence with Job. He says, I rebuke you for saying the wrong things, but I don't rebuke you for not saying anything because that was, that was good. The silence was good. And then um, I already touched on the other thing I was going to tell you. It was the repentance that God offers through a son. And in this sense, it was Job. Job, uh, we know, went through a lot. He lost a lot. Uh, he lost a lot twice. He lost a lot three times. And we see at the end he got everything back, but... The trials that, um, it wasn't just the things that he lost, but after that when he had his three friends come and um, kind of kind of try to put him down. It was a, a spirit of confusion among them. And it was distraction. And it was constant bombardment on Job's faithfulness and on his character. And he held fast through that. A lot like Christ held fast through temptation for us. So those were the two things I wanted to share with you. Uh, a little bit more brief than Alyssa's. Well done. Uh, very good. I just, those are the two things that I learned the most from Job. Thank you. I'm Grace. <laughs> okay, so I've actually been fortunate enough to hear Ben teach through Job twice. Um, once with the youth and then once in here. Um, the book has ended up being a really sweet tool that the Father has used to equip, encourage, and provide. Um, purpose for me in a difficult season. Um, as I've walked through what it means to be a true son and daughter of God, the Lord has shown me what it means for me, um, what that means for me in the light of who he is. So uh, last summer when we were in the midst of the many chapters of Job's suffering, his crying out to God and his confusion, I received a diagnosis that I wouldn't have anticipated, um, thyroid cancer. The timing of the diagnosis was not lost on me as I then went through a season of sickness and crying out to God. Um, even in that time, I knew that my view on what was happening 
um, was being greatly impacted by Job's story and who God showed himself to be to Job. The first time we studied Job in youth, I remember the part of the book that was the most profound to me was chapter 42, verse 5. I had heard of you by the hearing of ear, but now my eye sees you. That single verse carried me through surgeries, radiation, recovery, and all the feelings that came with those things. Because of the book of Job, I had some understanding that God uses bad things like cancer and makes them very good things by showing us who he is through them. There was still suffering and questions and anxiety and sadness, but more than those things, there was hope that God was going to show me who he is. Um, ben actually sent out an email during that time that reminded me of this. It said, God's glory, his self-manifestation, his self-revelation, his benevolence, his grace, and his mercy are often, if not usually, displayed on a backdrop of darkness. It is in those times, and maybe even because of those times, that we come to know him best. And now, although I've been a follower of Christ since the age of six, I feel like I'm starting to really understand who the person of Christ is, that he is kind, that he takes care of me in incredible and unthinkable ways, and that he will use whatever it takes to sublimate me into his presence and reveal himself to me as my creator and my father. I just want to give you all an encouragement. If you don't write down or take notes somehow, this is the very best thing. Even if it's on your phone, um, talking about sharing through a book, the best part is I have three of these. I just started this one, and I could go through every sermon I've sat through and see what I molded and what I wrote over and over. Um, it's just amazing to go through and see truths about God that are repeated over and over and over. So I would just encourage you, even if you're just a listener, if you can start taking notes, even if you just take the five things that really stick out to you um, in times that are hard or troubled or times that are good. It's good to read back through it. Um, what I did is a little bit different. Um, I just kind of made a list of what I learned about God through Job. The Bible is, you know, God's biography of who he is, and it's how we learn about him. Um, so just a few things that I learned about God through Job. Um, God sacrifices the good and the finest, and we see it over and over. So if you see somebody being sacrificed, um, you can take that to heart. Um, God isn't about karma. He isn't about health and wealth. He isn't about rewarding the just and punishing the evil. Um, those are all human ideas. But God, but God is bigger than that. And thank goodness. Um, God always provides a way to forgiveness for his people. He always has. He doesn't change. He did then. He does now. Um, God uses all things together for good for his purposes, which is his greater glory. And light is more glorious after darkness. And freedom is more glorious after slavery. And no Savior we could create could ever be more glorious than Jesus. We couldn't. Um, and a few things I've learned about myself through Job. Um, we all need a mediator. Um, and if we're God's people... Um, we're called to be that mediator specifically for those we are crossways with. We're called to be that person, to pray for them and to go to them and to lift them up to God. Not for our friends, really, for those that we're enemies with or crossways with. Um, and we're supposed to lift them up in prayer. And finally, that we will suffer as children of God. Suffering is how we experience, or as Job says, how we see God. And if we can suffer rightly, then that's how we can actually put the gospel on display for other people to see God that don't read the Bible. Hello. 
I'm Jerry Morris, and I want to uh, start by asking you to indulge me for a, a few minutes here. I'm going to take just a little bit longer than the other people, but I've given this a lot of thought, a lot of prayer, and talked with Ben, and it's a story I'd like for you to hear, especially those of you who may not have accepted Christ uh, as your Lord and Savior and may not have, feel, may not have felt that you've been the uh, recipient of God's grace. Uh, I learned a term quite some time ago that really is the story of my life, and it's called prevenient grace, and that's the um, where God works in your life before you're even aware of it, and I can say this story will really uh, vouch for that. Uh, I was nothing like Job, not righteous, not upright, didn't even have God on my radar screen. I pretty much thought about what I was going to do the next weekend, and with uh, no uh, compass or whatever, I'm, I found myself for my own doings. Uh, a young father, husband, and uh, trying to figure out what to do with my life. But uh, anyway, um, uh, things started going well for me. My family moved to Houston, had another daughter, a job I really liked a lot, traveling some, but home on the weekends. and Not a lot of travel, but enough. Life seemed good, and one Friday afternoon, uh, I stepped on a trap door when I got a call from my wife that she wasn't coming home, and I had two little girls there to take care of, and um, four days later, I saw her get out of somebody else's car, and uh, was left to deal with that. Through that, I was unable to keep traveling, so I had to give back the company car, bought a rusted-out car for $500, and drove it. Didn't have any family. Had one friend, I thought. After talking to him, found out he had been coming over to visit for a couple of years while I was gone. So felt like I didn't have a friend in the world at that time, but uh, somehow I was able to rebuild and uh, a few years later uh, being lonely and needy I um, coupled again and uh, remarried before I really knew the person well had a son and for whatever reason uh, his mother when we brought him home emotionally turned her back on me for whatever reason and I spent the next eight years suffering uh, emotional and verbal abuse, but too ashamed, too embarrassed to uh, do anything about it. So we moved back to uh, Greenville, hoping that would help, and it didn't. And uh, finally, I had enough, and I told my dad I had to get out. So when his mother was out on a trip somewhere, I got my bike and my computer in my clothes, in my son, and I moved out uh, to our little lake cabin. So at 40 years old, I had the clothes on my back, debt from credit card debt that I didn't know about, and uh, didn't know what to do except I was peaceful and happy, and uh, happy to a degree, but uh, I realized at that point that uh, I was probably going to spend the rest of my life ashamed, 
embarrassed, lonely, and uh, just hiding at our lake house because I thought nobody's going to want anything to do with me with the uh, baggage that I was carrying, but I was okay with that. Then one day, a few years later, uh, God sent me an angel. Her name's Mary Jane. And uh, I thought I had been dealt a bad hand until I met her, and she should be institutionalized with the abuse that she went through as a child, psychological and verbal, and uh, she's been treated pretty badly by quite a few people. Uh, but she was so beautiful, and still is, inside and out, and I just felt awesome around her. And uh, come to find out the reason she was the way she was was through accepting Christ when she was 17. And that's what led me to Christ. I was well into my 40s before I ever was a true believer. And so um, I'm eternally thankful for that. She's been a daily joy. The way you've seen her here, she treats me like that every day. She's never said an ugly word to me, never called me a bad name. And uh, forever thankful about that. Then God sent me another person into my life a few years ago, and uh, that's my best friend Ben uh, Ben McGraw. Started to call you Ben Hines. That was my sales manager, Serta. <laughs> <laughs> Different experience there. But uh, anyway, uh, I was chairman of uh, trustees at Cavanaugh uh, Church, and I met Mike. Um, um, been bike riding and uh, almost 10 years ago and uh, getting to know him we decided to uh, visit here and Ben you don't have to say I'm your best friend so. <laughs> I'm, I'm like Jamie on the progressive car commercial but uh, anyway Ben's my best friend but uh, that's okay you got a lot of best friends yeah so uh, anyway uh, I had asked Ben one day, uh, you know, how do you spend your time? And he said he spent about 40 hours a week uh, studying. I'm like, wow. I told my wife, I want to hear what he has to say if he's been that much into it. And uh, we came one time, and I heard the word preached in the expository preaching manner and was transformed and realized we had not been fed, and, uh, and we never looked back. Uh, we stayed here for 18 months without being pushed into joining or whatever. Ben told me to take, take our, our time, which we did. Uh, and then I got baptized a few years ago as me and three little girls up there getting baptized. I was the only one crying. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so uh, I am so blessed, and, and I love all of you so much. And... Uh, I think there's probably jokes going around about me because uh, uh, I, I love all my friends so much. I'm always wanting to touch them and hug them. And I'm not using Joe Biden as a role model. It's not like that. Um, the truth is um, I thought that I would be spending the rest of my life lonely, embarrassed, ashamed, and uh, hiding and uh, now I get to spend my time with all you guys that I love so much. Uh, so to sum it up, uh, through God's grace, I feel like my life and our lives together, Mary Jane and our two kids with, that she brought into, it's a package deal, three angels. 
Uh, it was like uh, broken puzzle pieces that got put together to make a beautiful picture along with you guys. But when you flip the picture over, there's the most beautiful picture of all, and that's the face of Jesus Christ. Hi, I'm Jessica. For those of you who don't know me, it's weird. Y'all are behind me. Um, <laughs> but um, I actually wasn't here for the entire book of Job. Um, I moved here kind of in the middle of it. Um, but I remember the first Sunday I sat here, I was like, this is so challenging and so timely. Um, for me, I had just come out of a really, really rough relational situation. Um, it was really hard, hurt a lot. Um, and it was the first time in my life where... I couldn't really make sense of it in the moment. There was no good explanation <laughs> for why what was happening was happening. Um, and I am a, if you know me, I'm a huge why person. Like, if I can understand why something's happening, I could just about pull myself through it. Um, but the Lord didn't give me that um, this time. And I think that was really hard for me. Um, and I remember sitting here in the first Sunday, like, Job isn't necessarily told why. He's, like, not in the room when they decide that he's going to go through all of these things. Um, and so I feel like every week when I came on Sunday, uh, the Lord was asking me the same question every week. Are you going to worship the why or are you going to worship me? Am I the prize or is your understanding the prize? Do you have to know everything? Why do you feel like you have to know everything? Um, and that's hard for me because it's just very inherent to who I am. Um, and so I feel like now I'm in a much better place with that. I feel like the Lord has really um, kind of just grabbed me by the face and like shifted my gaze um, in a lot of ways. Um, he's challenged me to trust where my security is because, I mean, I think through your whole life you, you learn, okay, God challenges you in this situation. Your security's not in your family. It's not in your friends. It's not in your boyfriend or girlfriend. It's not in this thing. Um, but this is a very core thing to who I am. The why was so central. Um, and he taught me two big things. One, there are no bad bads, um, even when they don't make sense. Um, even when you can't say why it's good, that doesn't mean it's bad. Um, and you can hold on to that until you understand. Um, and you may not understand for a long time. I think that was probably the most challenging part for me, um, and that God is good, um, and you can trust that. You can tether yourself to that, um, even when nothing around you seems really good at all, um, and so, yeah, I'm thankful for you guys um, in this season, and thankful for the book of Job, and excited to see how that continues to practically work itself out in my life. That was a treat. That was a treat and a blessing. Thank you all for doing that. Thank you for being willing to do that. That was truly, truly rich. I know that there are so many of you that could stand up and do the same, and uh, I encourage you to, to do that. Not right here, right now, because we, we kind of have a plan this morning, but uh, I encourage you to do that with one another. Do that with your families. You know, as a family, maybe talk about it. Hey, Dads and moms talking with your kids. Hey, what did, what did God show us in this season? What did he show us in this book? I think that's what the difference between worship and just going to church is. Because you know you can just show up. You can just show up and get your check in the block. And you say, man, I did church this week. I'm good. I'm good. That's not what following Christ means. 
is talking about him and enjoying him and savoring him and questioning him even. What is it? What are you doing? And, and uh, wrangling with things and trying to make sense of what walking with him means. So I encourage you as families, just walk those things out. Continue that time of, of testimony and recounting. The, uh, the, I have a couple of just final thoughts, and then we're going to have our supper. And this is the first. God is not a heavenly accountant. He's not just in the business of doling out good things for good people and bad things for bad people. Man, that's the world economy. That's the way the world works. Our God is much more wise, much more complex. Uh, The whole maxim, good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people, plays out often, but it does not play out absolutely. And it does not play out for the people of God. And in fact, if you want to have a way to kind of predict, it's probably going to be the opposite for the people of God. Because God is often doing something completely off-grid, something completely unexpected. You might be safe to expect the opposite in our story because God did not deal with us according to our folly. Amen? He dealt with Christ according to our folly. That is our good news that we walk in every single week, every single day. He dealt with Christ according to our folly, and then he dealt with us with the blessings that were due Christ. The economy that we walk in, people of God, is altogether different from everywhere else in the world. Man, that's the economy to take into your homes, to take into your workplace, to take into your morning mirror that you're looking at, saying, what am I about? What am I doing today? What's important to me? What matters? Man, we're walking in a scandal, heapings of blessings lavished on those who don't deserve it. That lavish word is a beautiful word. It comes from Ephesians, where he's lavished grace on us. What a great story we walk in. This is the story that plays out in Job. And the second thing is that suffering is sure for those who are in Christ. It is what God does with his sons to bring us into his presence. It's just how it works. Christ promised suffering for those who follow him. Christ walked it out. He lived it out. It is part and parcel to union with Christ. If you hope to be raised together with him... If you hope to be made alive together with him, if you hope to be seated with him in heavenly places, all that union with Christ language, then you got to be ready to suffer with him. It comes with the territory of following Christ. Philippians 3.10 is the last thing that I'll share. 3.10 through 11. Listen to this passage. Indeed, Paul says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That's Paul actually cursing in original Greek. The closest I'll come to is to say crap. Parents can be mad at me. Paul said something worse. I counted all crap in order that I may gain Christ. Hold loosely to all this stuff that we treasure that's so important to us from day to day. Hold loosely to it in order that I may gain Christ There's two other in orders that come out in these next verses. But that first one, in order that I may gain Christ through the suffering, pry these things from my hands as I grip them, Lord. Pry them from my hands so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And here's the the second in order that, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. How can you possibly expect to know him and the power of his resurrection apart from suffering with him? 
There's no other option. There's not a comfort option. Can I take the no pain and no difficulty and no suffering option and come to know Jesus? Doesn't work that way. That's how you come to know him. Very in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that, here's the third, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Man, we shouldn't be surprised at the fiery trial, people. We should be thankful in all things, knowing that we have a good father that's using it to bring his sons into his presence.